0: Welcome, welcome. Good morning. We're continuing in our summer in Psalms. And it's it's good to see everyone this morning. And yeah, I'm, I'm back for another week. That's why last week I didn't say if you don't like the sermon, I won't be back next week. So you gotta suffer through me one more week, and then I'll probably take some time off after <laughs> that. But it is it is good to be here, and I really I really uh have enjoyed the the summer in Psalms, and as we continue, hopefully, uh I can continue the the trend that we've had going uh, in this series. So if you would, please join me in prayer. Father God, thank you so much once again that we can gather here in your name. And Father, I ask that you would help us to get what you have for us this morning, Lord God, that your spirit would speak to to each and every one, Lord God, and teach us more about yourself and draw us in closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Alright, so this morning got a little a little quiz. Alright? Little quiz. It's not a Bible quiz, so don't worry about being wrong. As a matter of fact, I think you can answer everything quite right, and if you can't, then we do need to get you some some help, okay? Alright, so no pressure. Alright, so how many people in here are the firstborn in their family? First oh, uh oh. I might get thrown out of here today. Alright. A lot. Alright, and then how many are the baby of the family? All right, baby of the family. There's a few, a few. Good. And moving on, oh, I'm sorry. Middle children. Middle. All right. All right. So there's a, a few a few of those as well. A few of those as well. Very good. Okay. So so in my in my particular family, I'm the baby. I'm the baby by quite a bit. I'm not sure how Close I am to my next sibling, but I'd say somewhere to the tune of like 14 years or so younger than the next to me. So I'm like the baby of the family. So I've got like the baby of the family thing going. I got kind of the only child thing going because everybody was out of the house when I was growing up. Uh, But the baby of the family, you know, I, I heard something interesting about the baby of the family. I don't remember where I heard it, but I know I heard it a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if it was in foster parent training or if it was on TV or or whatever. But I hear that the baby of the family gets the good parents. You know, I don't know what that necessarily means. The baby of the family gets gets the good parents. You know, the baby gets to get away with everything. I heard that a lot growing up. Mom and dad would have never let any of us do that. I don't know how you can, you know. So I've got these older siblings, like I don't know what they're doing. They're just kind of mad. I don't know. (laughs) I think I think they call it haters these days. But but anyway, so so I did. I did get the good parents. They had a little more experience. I don't know if they were smarter or worn out, but I I don't know. They were my parents. I just did what they let me do. So baby of the family. So we've got a, a couple other people who can who can relate to that on one way or the other. Either you were the baby or you were the oldest and got to say that to the baby or you were in the middle and you probably said that to the baby as well. And if you are an only child, which I didn't ask about, because I just can't, I can't tell you what we say about you if you're the only child, you know what I'm saying? So just, if you're the only child and you're comfortable with that, just stay, just stay comfortable, just stay comfortable with that. All right. So today we're going to be in Psalm 37. We're going to be looking at Psalm 37 and we're going to look at some of the words of a famous baby of the family, actually, the baby of the family. And what what he kind of says and encourages us about looking towards God instead of looking about what's going on with with other people. So we're going to be in Psalm 37, and as you turn there or as you get your app fired up to Psalm 37, just to talk a little bit about it before we read, it's a wisdom psalm. It's classed as a wisdom psalm, which means that it's a, it's similar to Proverbs, and each about one or two verses is a is a complete thought. So it's really not, although it has a flow. It's not a complete story. Each little tidbit teaches a truth about God. So as opposed to some of the other psalms where we looked at where the psalmist is speaking to God, today the psalmist is speaking about God. And the, the, the entire gist of the psalm is really contained in the first nine verses. So we'll, we'll read those together. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. The word of the Lord. Amen. So really the key verse there. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently on him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. So basically what he's saying is, is stay in your lane. You know, David is saying stay in your lane because you don't want to concern yourself with what's going on to the left and right, but you want to delight yourself in the Lord because the Lord is for you. And as we go a little deeper, We'll 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 see that unfolded. Now, first things first, before I get too far down the road, the baby of the family and the evildoer, they're, they're not equivalent. All right. That 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 was just to have a little fun to set up the mind frame uh, about about what we've got going on. But like I said, I'm a baby of the family, so I, I don't feel like I'm an evildoer. I don't know that that I, I will poll my siblings and, and find out what they think. But what it does do is it does bring out a nuance. It brings out a nuance that, that is not necessarily spoken in this psalm, but, but that is implied. And that is that as you look at the, the evildoers and, and what they've got going on and why do they prosper and this is not fair, it's really not an accusation against those people. It's an accusation against God. It's an accusation against the one who, who is in charge. And that's why David says that, that fretting over these things tends towards evil. So another another quick illustration. Uh, My kids reminded me that I haven't talked sports in a while from from up in the pulpit. So we're going to talk a little bit of sports today. So I played I played sports in high school, um, as probably many of you did. And you always got the coach who says, hey, I'm going to put the best you know, you name the sport. I'm going to put the best 11 out there. Uh, you know basketball and put the best five out there and you come to practice you work hard you show dedication you're here on time you put it all out there I guarantee you're going to get some playing time easy enough makes sense because the goal of athletics is to to put the best team out there but I, I don't know about your teams but it seemed like on all my teams there was that one guy you know he was maybe maybe he was a little taller but not necessarily but he was definitely a little stronger he was a little bit faster. Uh, he had a little bit more more skill in whatever the sport was. And he also was late to practice every once in a while. At my school, every once in a while, he showed up to a game a little bit drunk or something like that. And he still started. He still started anyway because, because he was that good. Um, and as someone who's watching this who who does put in that effort who is trying to earn that playing time it's easy to get to get jaded in that situation but really what 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 do you do when you look at that person do you also start skipping practice do you also take plays off do you also show up drunk what 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 good is it doing to look at that person and say well they're getting away with it maybe I'll do the same thing I mean you could always quit the team as well. But again, what kind of statement does does that make? And like David said, that tends us towards evil. And as we, we start looking outside, we start to go off. We start to go off of that path. We start to go off of that straight way. Jesus says it like this in Matthew 7, 13 to 14, talking about the, uh, the path. It says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So there's, there's a path. There's a path. There's that lane that we, that we want to stay in, and it's narrow. Solomon says it this way in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. God will make those paths straight as we acknowledge him, as we follow him, as we keep our focus on him outside of what's going on around us. Now, there is a path in life that's so dangerous that a lot of people avoid it. It can be good for you, but it's a difficult path. People here have probably walked it. You've probably ran it. But it's while it while it can be beneficial, it's also Very, very treacherous if you get distracted. And that path is in your local gym. And it's called a treadmill. When I was when I was when I was reading through this and and praying about this, I just the, the treadmill came up as 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 a path that if you get distracted, you could really get messed up. You start looking to your left or to your right. I don't know how many of you've ever come close. I've never had it happen. But I have come close. And 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 I'll tell you a time when it comes close is when there's some guy who's, you know, maybe got a little more experience than me. You know, he's a little more whatever, you know, for some reason in my mind, I think he's maybe a little bit older than me. But I noticed, man, he looks like he's working, you know, and he's been working for a while. Is this guy like putting me to shame over here? So there was a, a, a time, distinctly, that I remember thinking, "I wonder what what he's got his average speed set on." So let me kind of, whoa, you know, <laughs> look over there, and I did the old step on the part that's really not moving. You know what I mean? So looking around, being distracted, I've done it before with Sports Center and other stuff. Kind of look up and be like, oh, "Oh, hold on, anybody see that?" You know, because we do need to maintain our focus, and that's what what Jesus is saying, what Solomon's saying, what David is saying, is that. We want to to stay in our lane and keep our focus on what God has for us, what God is doing for us. Because the treadmill, you you know, if you equivalent, if you if you take life and make it the equivalent of looking around and falling off the treadmill, I don't know what's worse. The pain that you could get or the fact that somebody else sees it happening. You know what I mean? Because I I mean, what do you do in that situation? You're injured, but you can't stay down. Because too many people saw you shoot off the back of this thing. Do you get back up on and say the treadmill's not going to beat me? You know, I don't know. So if we stay in our lane, we can maybe avoid some of that some of that situation. And as we as we keep our focus on God, we can rest in the assurance that that he is in control. And David really makes three main points throughout this psalm. Three main points. The first one is that God rewards the righteous. God rewards the The righteous and you know a lot of the the songs that we talked about that we sang today and, and Jordan prayed in his prayer about that that God does reward the righteous and the righteous aren't those who necessarily do right things all the time they're not those who are who are holier than thou or who have all the answers the righteous are simply those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior those who follow God where where he is leading And the righteous inherit an eternal hope. And God defends the righteous against the schemes of the wicked. So a few things that we see throughout the psalm. First, that God gives the righteous the desires of their heart. God gives the righteous the desires of their heart. And we see that in the second half of of verse four of the psalm, that God gives them the desires of their heart. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. So we, we do want to be in that place where we're delighting in the Lord in all different types of circumstances, but we're delighting in him. He acts in favor of the righteous. He acts in favor of the righteous. He brings forth their righteousness and justice. And we see that in verse uh, six and in the second half of verse 17. For the Lord, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. And he grants them an eternal inheritance. He grants them an eternal inheritance. And and this this is really kind of a a a real key to the whole matter is that the Lord's vision is a lot longer than ours. His his outlook is a lot longer than what we think about day to day. And that's what he's asking us to do is keep an eye out for that eternal reward, that inheritance throughout the Old Testament and then Uh, You know, throughout the Bible, we talk about that inheritance, whether it's the land in Israel or it's being co-heirs with Christ. When we get into the New Testament, that inheritance is what God is saying. Focus on this because I have promises for you that I've made and I I will keep them. The Lord knows the ways of the righteous. He knows the ways of the righteous. we see that down in in verse 18. Sustains. Uh, sustains them in hardship, sustains them in hardship. So we can have confidence in in a couple things when we see a phrase like that, that God will be there during our difficult times, but also that the difficult times they're going, they're going to come. He does grant the desires of our heart, but again, life, life is real. Life is real. The challenge is there are real. They shape us. They form us. So we will go through hardships, but we won't have to go through them alone because God guides the steps of the righteous. As we seek him, we know which way to go. We know which decisions to make because he becomes the basis for how we decide between option A and option B, whether A and B are good and bad or A and B are good and a little bit better. Or if they're just two things that are equal but different, as we seek God, we kind of know which way we need to go. And then he delights in the ways of the righteous. Verses 30 and 31 say this. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom and his tongue speaks justice. The law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. So God He he enjoys the ways he delights. These are the ways of of the people. And he knows it. He knows it. He counts it. And he delights in the ways of those who are righteous. God pays attention. And as we talked about last week, God does not forsake the righteous. He doesn't forsake the righteous. It may feel that God has forsaken us, that God has abandoned us at times. But he is still there and he promises that that he will be there. And then finally, he promises the righteous a future. There is a future for the righteous. There is hope beyond circumstances. There's hope beyond this life. There's hope beyond anything that, that, that would come against us. David writes this in verses 39 and 40. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. So, God, God will, will sustain the righteous. He will reward the righteous. He has promises for the righteous. He also deals with the wicked, which is the next, the next theme that, that David talks about, that God destroys the wicked. Now, wicked, wicked is kind of a loaded, a loaded word for us. I think when we think wicked or we think evildoers, uh, we think about people who are just as evil as they can possibly be all the time. Whether this is someone out of a, some kind of a, a movie or, you know, some kind of like supervillain or something like that. That's what we think of when we think of the wicked. But it's not necessarily that way. I would say those people definitely are wicked. But what David is really talking about here is the people who don't place their confidence in God. The righteous place their confidence in God. They place their righteousness in Jesus for their salvation. But the wicked, they look somewhere else. They look somewhere else for those things. They set up these these different idols in the place of God, such as money or power or fame or themselves. They they basically turn their back and forsake God. They receive, and, and sometimes they will receive their reward here and now, but they don't have a hope for eternity. They don't have a promise. So, what does David say about the wicked? He says they will fade and wither. They may they may be strong. They may they may appear to have a form of su- of success, but they will fade and wither. And we don't really have to go too far to see examples of this. We can look in sports. We can look in uh, Hollywood we can look even in our own lives those people who they had this temporary success but yet they have faded and they have withered over time now I'm not really a vengeful person and I don't know if this is is God or not but you know as I tell the story about sports I have a couple people in mind and I don't know what they're doing well actually I probably know what they're doing right now they're probably asleep um, because they're doing the same things that they were doing in high school at some point today, they'll probably go find some weed or some beer or something like that, hang out all day, and uh, you know, they'll tell their mom that they'll be back in by midnight and these things like that, and we're, the, and we're the same age. So I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that I'm happy about that. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, that, that, that there's a, there is a character there. You know, there's a, there's a character there that, that you just can't escape. So then he says they will be cut off the wicked will also be cut off. And this goes into the fact that they don't have that future. They don't have that hope. They don't have that eternal promise. They're cut off. At some point, there's not a chance to turn back. At some point, it becomes too late and and they are cut off. And when they're cut off, they will be no more. They will be no more. And as David points out in the psalm, they go after the righteous. Sometimes they set a trap or a snare for the righteous. But at the end, they will slay only themselves. They will slay only themselves. In verse 15, it talks about the sword of the wicked. The sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. So what they intend for evil on someone else, at some point, he's saying God will turn that back on them. In verse 38, is kind of a summary of, of the idea of how God dest- of God destroying the wicked. But the transgressors, shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. So God rewards his righteous people. God will destroy the wicked. And all this underlies David's final point that he gives throughout this psalm, and that is that God is sovereign. Ultimately, God determines what will happen to both. He has laid out his law. He has laid out his rules. He is the one who provided a way for us to return to him. He's in control of that whole process. He's not not the not the guy who shows up late to practice or drunk to games. Not the not the baby of the family who gets away with everything. You know, they're not the people who determine. Ultimately, it's God that determines that path. And he's the one that we that we have to seek. And this is this is really illustrated in a, in a, a passage that, that I don't have up here on the screen, but it's a, a a parable from the New Testament. The rich man and Lazarus found in Luke chapter 16. So it's going to be a little bit of reading. So if you want to turn there, um, we'll be there for just a second. Luke chapter 16, starting in in verse 19, really gives us a, a feel for the temporal ver- versus the eternal perspective. So this is uh, this is Jesus teaching. So there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gates laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by angels to Abraham's side. That you in your lifetime received good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides this, between us and you is a a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And then Lazarus said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they did not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So the rich man doesn't really talk about his character, but the, the assumption is, is that he, he wasn't feeding the poor. He wasn't sharing with those people around him. Something about him. He put his faith in something else rather than God and rather than God's ways. But he lived a good life. It doesn't say that he lost his fortune and then he died or anything like that. Just his time came and it was over. In the same way for Lazarus, it never says that by, by faith and by prayer that, that he was lifted up. No, he, he died. He was carried away by angels to Abraham's side to receive that reward, to receive that, that comfort. And God doesn't expect us to, to know what's next. In our community group one time, we were talking about heaven and the different descriptions of it in the Bible that are all grounded in things that, that we know and understand gold and 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 eternal light and all these things but we don't we don't know we don't really know what's there that probably the best thing that we could imagine is probably even better than that and God understands that we can't grasp it but at, just as he told the rich man the word is there the promises are there Moses the prophets the word of God if if, if they won't believe this they won't believe someone who's risen from the dead so he's saying hey Lazarus believed. Lazarus believed in spite of his circumstances, and it makes sense. Why would God, the eternal God, the the creator of the universe and all things, want us to base our hearts and our desires off of what people are doing that we don't even respect, off of people that are doing the wrong thing? Does he... Is he wrong in saying, hey, don't do that. Don't look at them and be jealous. Have confidence in the promises that I have for you. In verse 16 of the psalm, David writes, better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. So there may there may only be a little. It may never reach that level. There's no promise that if you follow me, you will you will replace these people that are famous, these people that are rich, these people that are powerful. But it's better to have me with you. It's better to have God's promise with you than it is to have all of the things that the wicked can accumulate. And if we're looking to our left and our right, there's there's really no way there's no way to stay on track because at that point we're distracted. At that point, like I was saying with the sports analogy, we can do a, a few different things. We can quit. We can quit. We can give up and, and just say, hey, this is not worth it. I'm going without, and yet I'm not getting any reward. We can imitate those who, who don't put in the work. We can imitate those who, who aren't willing to follow the ways of the Lord. And then God is completely and wholly justified in giving us what what we deserve. Or we can keep our focus straight on God, follow Him despite the outward circumstances. I've said this before and I'm sure I'll say it again many, many times, but if we look at the outward circumstances as a standard for who God really is, if we look at that as a standard for who's really faithful, then then we're we're kind of in a little bit of trouble. We're kind of in a little bit of trouble because Jesus was crucified. Jesus throughout his ministry said he didn't have a place to lay his head. So, he wasn't rich. He 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 didn't have all these material things. So are are we saying that that Jesus wasn't faithful? That Jesus didn't believe in God? Jesus was God. Of course he believed in God. And then if you look at Paul and Peter and John and and James and all these people, if the standard is being rich, famous and having an easy life, then a lot of us are, are in trouble. That's not the standard. The standard is following God. So if, if you're taking notes, I got a, an, an application point that, that hopefully will make this easy to remember. So what do we do in response to this? Don't hate. Appreciate. <laughs> Don't hate. Appreciate something something nice and simple. All right. I'm going to give you a second to write that one down. Don't hate. I mean, this is really when you boil it down, this is really what David is saying. So don't hate. He's saying fret not. Fret not over what's going on with the evil people. Don't don't get mad about their apparent success because this tends only to evil. We're mad at their success and this tends only to evil again. We can turn our backs on God. We can quit. And we can probably do a whole bunch of other bad things. But the more that we in our in our in our spirits, Keep saying this isn't fair, this isn't fair, this isn't fair. We do develop the, just that bitterness, that anger that tends to evil. So don't fret. And then turn away from evil. Turn away from evil. When we, when we see those people, that's kind of that example about, about what not to do. You know, you can always learn something from somebody. That's what I always say in the army. I got it a little bit. When I was a when I was an armor officer, I got a little bit of, you know, there was a few Joe's who would come up and they would complain or other officers or whoever. And, and I complain, too. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Every once in a while, I need to just complain about something. But the thing that, that kind of got me and the thing that I get a lot more now as a chaplain is people say, well, this guy is so awful or this school is so worthless. I didn't learn anything there. I didn't learn anything. Well, you learned something. You learned exactly, almost exactly what not to do. You learned almost exactly what not to do. So when you spot that evil, when you spot that thing that that is against God, turn away from it. Turn away from it. There is something to be learned from there. So that's don't hate. And then what we do want to do is we want to appreciate. We want to trust in the Lord. In verse three, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So we want to place our trust squarely in the Lord despite our circumstances. Then we want to delight ourselves in the Lord. So it's not just a trust, but there's also a joy there to be had. There's a delight there to be be had. And we see that in verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's hard to wrestle with. You know, we don't have really have time to, to wrestle with all that today about him giving you the desires of, of our hearts. But there's probably some things that I desire that I don't have. And I don't think that I will ever get them. And I, I don't know the reason why. But that's OK, because there, there, there is a delight there. And I think the Lord, even in this life, has given me the, the greater, the greater desire, the true desire that brings happiness and joy. Because I, I lead a life that I feel is is pretty joyful is is pretty pretty satisfying challenging for sure but i've got i've got no no regrets so we want to delight in the lord then we commit our way to the lord we see that in in verse five commit your way to the lord trust in him and he will act again that's a promise that he he will act and then one that we're probably more most familiar with is be still and wait for the lord if you go down to verse 34 it says, wait on the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. So when the wicked are cut off, when the wicked are yet destroyed, when the wicked are in that torment, just like Lazarus in that parable, you'll, you'll look on. You'll look on and you'll be there. You'll be sustained and comforted by God. And being still is, is very hard. It's very hard because it goes against the grain of, of everything that, that, we're, that we're taught. Whether it's the, the military, or whether it's school, or whether it's some kind of employment, or whether, you know, if, if you're raising your family in your house, everything is, is based on the results. Everything is based on measurables, it's based on mathematics, percentages, numbers, profits, these, these different things. So it's hard to be still, because we're in a place where being still, it just, it's not cool. It's not cool. But being still doesn't mean to do anything. We want to be still in our soul. We want to be still in our spirit. And we want to wait on the results that God has for us. We trust in him and what he has for us. And then the last thing is mark the blameless. Mark the blameless. And this this is exactly the opposite of what David's talking about in the beginning when he opens it up. Fret not yourself over ev- evildoers and don't be envious of them. Mark means to watch, to observe, to keep their ways. So rather than looking at the people that we don't want to be, we want our focus to be on the people that are doing the right thing, the people that we do want to be. We are to watch their ways and learn from them. So don't hate, appreciate. That's the way we want to go. We want to appreciate that God, the creator of the universe, has taken time out. He has no reason to regard us, but he has regarded us and promises us a way and a future and that he will be with us. So in closing, if you have a baby brother or sister, you need to call them today and apologize. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You might though. All right. But but seriously, uh, what what David says here is, is is beautiful. This is a beautiful psalm. You know, it's there's a lot of just there's a great message here. Uh, But it's not shocking. If we if we stop and think about it, it makes sense that God would say, focus on me. I'm I'm the one who, who has made the way for you. Focus on me and I will show you which way to go. Don't be distracted by the apparent success of people who are doing other things. I am God. They are not. And it, makes, it also makes sense that that only leads to and tends towards evil because you're not running toward God. You're, you're basically making an accusation and then you're probably running somewhere else. And with our focus solely on the promises and the goodness of God, we can find satisfaction, freedom, and an internal inheritance. It's the way that we want to live. It's the way that we want to be in these difficult circumstances. But we can continue to go forward in faith in our Lord. So don't hate, appreciate, and be still and wait on God. Please join me in prayer. Father, thank you for this, this teaching that David gave us, Father God. More importantly, Lord, thank you that, that your word is true and that what he is writing about, these this promises, Lord God, the fact that you will be with us in all circumstances, Father, we thank you that you have paid attention to us, though we are are mortal and temporary. So, Father, today my prayer is simple. Give us the confidence in you to trust, Lord. Give us the courage to stay on the path, to walk in your ways, to be still and look to you as our Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.